Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. I am Mark Ellis, but she's back in the States after a whirlwind trip to the Cannes Film Festival. Jacqueline Coley, you're back in the home office. How was Francais? Um, Daunting, but fun. It was a very busy trip. Uh, anytime you're trying to see 30 movies in a small amount of days, it's always going to be a little bit, but... Who can who who could complain when your job is to watch movies and more appropriately, who would listen? So I'm happy and glad to be back. I saw pics from the hotel, folks, and uh, it looks like a very nice palace that Jacqueline was staying at with a <laughs> very, I will say, productive happy hour. So yeah, love it. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you had a good time, but I am always happy that you are back uh, next to me doing this show because today we get to talk about I'm going to go ahead and say one of our all-time favorites right I mean you think about the movies uh, in this guy's filmography and it's like we grow up with this stuff and that would of course be Adam Sandler he's got a new movie Hustle coming out later on this month where he plays a down and out NBA scout who's on his last legs hoping to find the next great prospect overseas but today we get to welcome in director and actor Mark O'Brien, who's got a new film, The Righteous, streaming June 10th everywhere. It's a really, really cool horror movie, getting great reviews, 90% on the tomato meter thus far. And we're talking about a guy who maybe the tomato meter doesn't love quite as much because yeah. Adam Sandler, is his average for comedies is 28%, and his average for his serious quote roles is just fresh with 61%. The audience score is improved for his comedies. That goes almost to fresh, 56%. But so we have like your your Billy Madison's, your Big Daddies, uh, Happy Gilmore, the Water Boy. We're going to talk about a lot of those, and then some few other ones. I, I want to highlight as well when we uh, get Mark on the show here. And again, it's just it's so exciting to have a guy like that who he's an award winning actor. You've seen him in Ready or Not, Blue Bayou, and then uh, season two of Perry Mason on HBO Max. But he also has The Righteous coming out sooner rather than later. So Jacqueline, before we welcome Mark and we get to two minutes with Tim, just if I ask you, hey. Adam Sandler movies go. What's the first kind of not movie, but thought that that pops into your mind, regardless of their reception or what people think of them? I think he's having a good time, man. You and me would have been such a good team, like back in the 80s, making video jackets, because I could have written like the quick description and then you could have put like the critic quotes in there and like yeah. we would have we gotten a lot of rentals back in the prime of Blockbuster. But for now, it's our own Blockbuster talent, Tim Ryan is our expert review curation manager, and he does his segment Two Minutes with Tim, which tells us what the critics were saying at the time of a film's release or hear how the critics feel about one Adam Sandler. Take it away, sir. Two Minutes with Tim. Ingmar Bergman is one of cinema's most important and influential figures. With masterpieces like The Seventh Seal, Wild Strawberries, Persona, and Scenes from a Marriage, to name just a few, Bergman expanded the medium's emotional and visual boundaries to previously unexplored dimensions. After his death in 2007, Bergman's house on the Swedish island of Fora became a shrine to the great director, and if you visit, you can see his DVD collection. There you'll find, nestled between dozens of timeless masterpieces, is a copy of Anger Management. In other words, everyone's got a soft spot for the Sandman. Of course, whether you prefer the serious dramas or the goofy comedies, or if you love them all, there's no doubt Adam Sandler has had a fascinating career, and the critical response to his films is all over the map. So right now, for the sake of the show, we're going to run through some of those personal favorites. Billy Madison from 1995 is rotten at 41% with 49 reviews. 
The Water Boy from 1998 is rotten at 33% with 75 reviews. Big Daddy from 1999 is rotten at 39% with 93 reviews. In terms of the critics, the best-reviewed Adam Sandler movie is The Merowitz Stories, New and Selected, which is certified fresh at 93% with 188 reviews. His worst-reviewed film is The Ridiculous Six, which is rotten at 0% with 36 reviews. So what did the critics have to say about those two? In a fresh review of The Merowitz Stories, Gregory Wakeman of Metro wrote, The Merowitz Stories are the ultimate proof of the acting heights that Sandler can reach as he embodies the pent-up aggression, frustrations, but indomitable spirit of Danny Merowitz in an increasingly rich and inherently hilarious fashion. However, in a rotten review for The Ridiculous Six, Justin Chang of Variety wrote, The scenery ain't bad, but the laughs are tumbleweed sparse in The Ridiculous Six, a Western send-up so lazy and aimless it barely qualifies as parody. So that's Adam Sandler. And I would say that's that, Mattress Man. Back to you folks. And as promised, we are now joined by director and one of the stars of the movie, The Righteous. This is Mark O'Brien. Mark, it is such a pleasure to have you on the show talking about someone who we all grew up with, right? This is Adam Sandler, and we love him dearly as a person. The tomato meter, not quite so much. First of all, how are you doing? Thank you for being here. I'm doing great. I'm so excited to be here. Uh, Like anyone, I think, in our rough age group, we don't need to reveal numbers here. But uh, yeah, Adam Sandler is a part of my DNA. Uh, I love talking about him. And he's all over the board, man, on the, on the tomato meter. Yeah. He really is. Yeah. But before you got here, Jack and I were talking about his overall averages, right? And so he's got his his comedic movies, which he's known primarily for. Those films average 28.6% oh. on the tomato meter. Yeah. Now, oh. we, yeah. We, we, we get a little bit better. We actually get fresher with his serious, quote unquote, roles. Those films average 61.5%, which just does get him into fresh territory on the tomato meter. But I'm looking at the sort of list of movies that we all had emailed back and forth about, what we really want to talk about, why Rotten Tomatoes is wrong about Adam Sandler. Feels like we're going to have a comedy discussion here. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) it's a lot of comedy. Also, we can definitely talk about there is a skew against comedy on the tomato meter. It's something that we talk about at Rotten Tomatoes. This is not to say that like we're rigging it, but by and large, comedic movies don't receive the same critical acclaim. And you don't even need Rotten Tomatoes to do that. How many comedies are nominated every year at the Academy Awards? It's kind of like goes in that same sort of mindset sometimes for what people view to be great. And so when a comedy rises above like a few of his, yeah, it means something. Mark, I'm curious for you, even before we get to your specific Adam Sandler movie that you want to defend here today, when you just think or somebody asks you, hey, what do you think of Adam Sandler movies? Is there an easy answer you can give them or or do you have to get specific? Do you have an overarching sentiment about his filmography? I do. (laughs) But I think everyone's particular, if I were to ask someone else to, to not answer your question and go into my own question, which I am apparently doing right now. <laughs> if I were to ask someone else, what do you think of Adam Sandler movies? I would need to know their entire psychological history, where they went to school, how old they are. I need a blood sample because certain people from different walks of life. The first time I saw Punch Drunk Love, everyone was leaving the theater. So it's like because they thought it was an Adam Sandler movie, quote unquote. And that was one of the first, the first dramatic ones. So. It's such a it's such a confusing element. Um, when I think of Adam Sandler movies, I generally feel um, excitement because even if it's one I don't really want to see, Hubie Halloween, Hubie Halloween, I just I'm still like, oh, he's doing silly stuff and he's having fun. It's like I'm happy for a, a man. I'm like, good for him, that five hundred million dollar man. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's weird. We all like just want him to do well. I'm excited to see him doing anything. And it's 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 a really weird sort of joy I get from someone I don't know. You know, it, it, it's funny that that Mark brings up our backgrounds, Jacqueline, because I think that Adam Sandler, when he first came on the big screen from SNL, sort of appealed to folks like me who were good at sports, but not as good as we wanted to be. And there's a lot of anger there. And <laughs> how do you express your anger if you can't beat the other team all the time? You tend to act out like you would see in a movie like Happy Gilmore, which, again, I think criminally low in the tomato meter. But nobody is here today to highlight Happy Gilmore as a film, although I 
I think we can all champion that movie somewhat. So I'll turn it back over to you first. Mark O'Brien, what is the film that you see on the tomato meter and you say, how could the critics have gotten that one so wrong? It's Billy Madison. I mean, <laughs> yes, it's Billy Madison. Like it is, it is it informed my life to such a large degree. I walked by uh, the other day, I'm shooting uh, Perry Mason and I walked by a crew member the other day and he said, uh, he was like, it's, it was lunchtime. And he goes, we got some sloppy Joes. And I, turned, <laughs> I said, lady is scaring us. And, and we started laughing immediately and everyone was like, what? And it's not even a joke. That scene is not even funny, but it just <laughs> hit a weird sort of zeitgeisty thing. And then he said, and then as I walked away, he was like, condition out is better. And, it's, but, but here's the thing. Here's my argument on this. I was thinking about this a lot before coming on. I was like, I kind of get the critical reaction. I went back and watched it and I was like, this is weird, man. Like, this is <laughs> a bizarre movie. However, here's where I think the critics are wrong. That it's an incredible setup. That is a great conceit for a movie. It's fantastic in its conceit. And all the little weird stuff was just really like 90s kind of SNL stuff. Mm-hmm. So like the, the jokes that, that were like weird and conditioners better and shampoos better. Like that was kind of like weird SNL-y sketchy type humor. Kids in the halls actually too. Like that very sort of meta sketch show. Yeah. 100%. And I just think that it's like, I think it's wrong. And then I'm like, this is a wonderful setup. It's a breezy movie. It flies by and you can't wait for him to go into the next grade, into the next grade, into the next grade. And I'll tell you, um, also, just because I'm excited about it, my favorite part of the movie is when he's sitting down at dinner and uh, and his and he's like eating his soup. And he's like, <laughs> like, like a maniac. And his dad's like, uh, you know, uh, Billy, these men flew like a long way. They don't want to miss their flight tonight. He's like, well, this guy can stay in my room. I'll tell you that much. And grabs his hand and starts biting it. That's my favorite part of the entire movie. That's enough, Billy. Because you took your own sweet ass time coming down here tonight. Uh, these gentlemen are going to miss their last flights home. Well, this guy can stay in my room, I'll tell you that much. (laughs) I think it's a beautiful conceit, and it's actually kind of heartfelt. And I think when you actually lay it out of what it is, like structurally, it's kind of perfect. It's, It's sweet and beautiful and coming of age. I have good news for everyone because uh, this is actually the most well-regarded film that the three of us are highlighting today because Billy Madison is all the way up to 41% on the tomato meter. So Jack and I have movies that are even lower than that. But sticking with Billy Madison, the conceit works because he's just this this man-child who's been spoiled his whole life. And now in order to pursue any one of his dreams that he has, however ridiculous they may be, including taking over his dad's company, he has to have a high school diploma. And so he just has to start back through kindergarten and just make sure that he passes each grade and that gives so much opportunity to have these little ridiculous things that make no sense in any other movie I think of of Josh Mostel's uh, (laughs) principal character who is just he's just there but then he also becomes this wrestler the revolting blob and then I also think of one of Billy's friends who for no good reason in the movie during one of his graduation ceremonies is just spraying a kid with a hose and that's it and the kid is just saying I don't even know you what are you doing and it just gets to this weird psychologically dark place that we can all laugh at and Norm Macdonald and Artie Lang are at his graduation ceremony like why are they there (laughs) I'm <laughs> like, it makes no sense that they've shown up at all. And then when they go on the, the pee your pants thing, and then why is Chris Farley the whole thing? He's like, that Veronica Vaughn. Like, his character does not need to be in the movie. And then at one point when he's... No, the only reason why he's in the movie is for that one scene where he pretends to be her and undresses. Like, that was the bit. And then they just wrote him around the rest of the movie. <laughs> I know, and like... Why did he show up there? Like Billy called the the school bus driver. And like, <laughs> I feel like that that is that is testament to your earlier claim that this was really just a lot of silliness that you would see in a wacky SNL sketch in the '90s. Because as we know, it, the SNL in the '90s, everyone would do whatever they could to work Farley into a sketch somehow because he was just that brilliant comedically. And so it's like, if we need to have him as this creepy school bus driver that just shows up randomly, and I think that's set the template for the future Sandler movies and, and other films where it's just like, let's just get Farley in this thing somehow. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I have a question here. That 41%, are any of those reviews more recent or are they all from the time? Because it's an interesting movie looking back on, you'd give it a higher score. But at the time, I could see people giving it a lower score. It's, it's contemporary as well as old. And I would say that right. 41 is likely because of that. Because I actually think when we wrote our book, it was in the 20s. Yeah. We have a book back here. Right. Rotten Tomatoes is like rotten movies we love. And I believe the score was lower when it eventually yeah. came out. Not by much, but like high 30s. It's meant so much to so many people. When we did Ready or Not, we shot at the mansion that they shot at. Really? Wow. Yeah, and you know wow. when he, like, he finishes a, a conversation with his dad and then he just dances down the stairs to like a, a like some like kind of Moroccan kind of vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When we went to the house and I'd heard, I was like, oh my God, the house is the Happy Gilmore or is the Billy Madison house. And I, I went and I saw the stairs I was like, that's the stairs. And I went up and I did the dance down like to like one of the other cast members. And I was like embarrassing myself and a bunch of crew members were walking by like, what the hell is this stupid actor doing? And then about a half dozen guys were like, yeah, I did that when I came in. Like, uh, <laughs> wow. Because uh, they recognized it. That's kind of cool. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. I, I guess th th that's a great question for, for you, Mark and Jacqueline, too, is like, how is that movie? It's one thing to say, well, yeah, it's a funny movie and it showed that Adam Sandler can carry a film, even if it's very juvenile and sophomoric. But how has it managed to stay in our, our cultural zeitgeist? Like you said, there's so, this might be the most quotable Adam Sandler movie. For me, I will quote Norm MacDonald at the beginning when he says this is the greatest night of my life when they're just, uh, you know, lighting, lighting poop on fire. I will the, the best quote in that movie. And the one that I think is one of the most brilliant lines I've heard since I became a comic is when Billy has to defend his his uh, the book that he read at the at the debate, and he's talking about the pup who lost his way, and he goes through this whole thing, and we think it's just going to be this big sappy. He wins off of this argument, and instead, the ruling is we are all now dumber for yes. having heard that. It's yeah. so brilliant. How has it lasted? I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. <laughs> Mr. Madison, what you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Okay, a simple wrong would have done just fine, but... Uh... That is the part of it that doesn't get talked about in this movie, is all of the straight men, or in this case, Veronica Vaughn, straight women, who make it work. Whenever you have absurdist comedy like this, you have to have, like, a lightning rod of, like, straight faces. And and for this one, it was Veronica Vaughn. Like in later movies, sometimes the girls are crazier than the dudes. You know what I mean? But in this particular one, Veronica's the level-headed one. And then just moments like that where somebody is like, did we just see what we just saw? <laughs> and who's the corporate guy who's trying to take over the company away from Billy Madison? Huh? It's What's his name? Bradley Whitford. Bradley Whitford. Thank you. Reprising his entire role from Attack of the or Revenge of the Nerds again. Basically, <laughs> that guy grew up. Right. 
And and that's the other thing I wanted to make about Billy Madison is it's Revenge of the Nerds if the nerds got dumber instead of smarter. That's really what this is. And that's like literally his entire career is how do you make Revenge of the Nerds when the nerds, sorry, don't have the, the common sense to do anything? You know what I mean? Yeah, the one thing nerds could always hang their hat on is like being being more educated than everyone else is being able to articulate how they're feeling more than the bullies. But now now the nerds have all the power in Hollywood, which is great news for, for all of us. But <laughs> if you right, like it is stuck with us so much, like, do you know how often I'm sitting next to someone and they say something to me and I'm in a group of people that's relatively quiet? I always say, no, I won't make out with you. <laughs> it, just, it just comes out. It's just like, yeah. it's like saying you're welcome or please. <laughs> the thing I just normally say. So I don't know. Like, what do you think, Jacqueline? Like, I don't know the reason why it's stuck. At that time, teenage culture or young adult culture was pop culture. And so when we look back on that time with nostalgia, it's not like it was in the 70s or 80s where it was way more what the mainstream were about. And it's definitely not the way it is now where it's so underground. I think that's why it stuck with it is because at that time, this was comedy. What yep. Adam Sandler did was an entire genre of comedy. SNL was an entire genre of comedy. And so if you just liked comedy at that time, you're gonna kind of be a fan of these things and that makes it stick. Well, and you're right. And, and he has maintained his status and his stardom. So yeah. people go back and watch it. Exactly. So they're like, oh, I, I, everyone's talk. All these people who are ten years older than me are talking about Billy Madison yeah. so much. Like, I guess I should watch it. I just want to add this. He was also one of the first stars that proved, no matter what you do, so long as you don't get your audience to think that you're a dick. No offense. Yeah. They will stick with you through a lot. If that you're is likeable. the god. If not just likable, if you can keep your audience believing that you're not a dick, because you can be likable and do something where they're like, you're a jerk. But it's this idea of like, they'll forgive him for Jack and Jill because he's like Adam Sandler and they know he's just doing it because he wants to kick it with his friends. They're not going to hate on him. Yeah, that, that, that's also his characters, too, because you look at somebody like Billy Madison, who you'd never want to hang out with in real life or even Happy Gilmore because he can just fly off the handle at any minute. But we like those characters intrinsically for some reason. And so even when they have their meltdowns, we root for them. And I don't know if Adam Sandler and Mike Myers ever had these conversations. I don't know if they ever like even hung out at SNL, but. I think that Sandler movies owe a debt of gratitude to Wayne's World because when that movie hit, it was like this new, every group of teenagers wants to rebel against what the standard was before them. And so mm -hmm. whereas in the 80s, you had these huge comedy movies that were a little more family skewed, like with, with Bill Murray and Ghostbusters or with Tom Hanks films or Eddie Murphy. Now it's like, no, this is our generation movies that our parents might be like, there's no story here. This is just a bunch of nonsense. But I think that that is sort of like the way that grunge music came in around the same time. It's just something that was different and that felt like they had ownership over, you yeah. know? And yeah. and I think it I think it stems from that. There's also something interesting, too, of like, you know, I'm trying to think of a, I'll say Steve Martin. It's a bad example, but it's it's not a terrible example. That guy's been doing comedy for forever. I love Steve Martin. But when Steve Martin, if he's not funny in something, you almost feel like that's, he's such an intelligent uh, comedian who's been so, so old school, too, in a lot of ways, like him and Martin Short when they do their live show, which I saw once at Greek Theater was amazing. There, but it's so old school that if he falters you almost feel bad for him mm -hmm. and you're like oh it didn't work whereas adam's saying you're like yeah he's just screwing around anyway like yeah. you know, laugh it off so yeah. you don't you're like who yeah. cares about jack and jill he probably thinks it's silly too and he's cultivated that persona a little bit from like just the way that he navigated everything like i don't think he's ever navigated things with that more than just like i just want to hang out with my friends make the movies i want to make but if you're careful you'll see the things that he cares about yeah like really cares about. Because if you look at it, he has a special production company he uses only for his auteur stuff. And that's what he used to produce Uncut Gems. That's what he used when he was a producer on, I believe, Rain On Me and Funny People. And not saying they all worked, but, and now this new movie that he's about to come out with, Hustle, is also produced by that same banner. And so like, it goes to show you where he sees himself. So Uncut Gems is 92% on the tomato meter. However, what's funny about that, the audience score is only 52%, which yes. makes it rotten. And so the audience score currently for Billy Madison is running laps around Uncut Gems. It's 79%. 
And so I, I think that, that a lot of that shows how much of an influence that this movie had, not just over us and, and a generation, multiple generations for that matter, but it also sort of set the template for what was to come with Adam Sandler films where it is going to be him, but it's also going to be a gaggle of his best buds and mm -hmm. they're just going to figure out a premise to make a movie, which is where we get to with 1998 and the movie that Jacqueline wanted to gush about today, which I'm just going to say is 33% on the tomato meter. If our listeners and viewers want to guess real quick, Jacqueline, you may pull the veil. <laughs> pull the veil on why it's 33% or just on the like on the movie. Yeah. So Waterboy, this is, uh, this is a little bit different for Adam Sandler because he plays this water boy for uh, a local football team, the Gators in Florida. And basically he is Rudy, but if Rudy was obsessed with water and had a slightly offensive <laughs> speech impediment, <laughs> uh, like, you know, he's doing like his crazy Cajun thing. But yeah, he's the local water boy and they find out basically if he gets angry, he has the hitting power of a Mack truck. And so he gets pulled off of the sidelines as the water boy and onto the field, much to the dismay of his mother, played by the great Academy Award winner, Kathy Bates, and to the delight of his girlfriend, played by the oh-so-crazy-in-this-edition, Fruza Balk. This is also why I said, like, sometimes the women in these stories end up being way, way more rails off. Both the women in Waterboy are way more rails off. And you have Rob Snyder coming in with his now iconic but slightly infamous catchphrase of you can do it but it's a great film i love this film um it's actually has this whole, a special place in my heart i didn't tell anyone about this but my dad actually worked on all the adam sandler films as a caterer uh that was his first gig in hollywood like as a he was like a caterer he worked for gala catering and then he became a driver later first black man to be a part of the uh union uh the driver really? union here in la yeah so this movie holds a special place in my heart. I actually went to this set. I got to see them film it. And uh, it was filmed at a university. I want to say in, I want to say it was in New Orleans, but don't quote me on that one. It may have been it, actually in Florida. It could have. It, it, it's yeah. a Gator-like team and the color scheme echoes a yeah. little bit of the Florida Gators. It technically, yeah. the name of the team, I think it's the Louisiana. It's in Louisiana, but the yeah. name of the team is the Mud Dogs. The Mud Dogs. And they yeah. filmed it. They filmed it in a Louisiana university. Anyway, so yeah, I went on set and it was like a whole thing. And the one thing I will tell you is the testament to Adam Sandler, who I know doesn't love Rotten Tomatoes with all of his heart or whatever, but when I came to interview him for Uncut Gems in Toronto, not only did he remember my dad, but his manager did. Because, wow. yeah, because again, these guys always work with the same people, yeah. the same folks over and over and over again. And my dad did, I want to say like eight movies with him. Click, he did punched uh, he did a uh, sorry uh he did click he did water boy he did the longest yard um yeah mr wow. deeds he did that one too so yeah I, I would just say again it's 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 interesting because i think his reputation not to put any shade against mike myers but as people started to hear the stories about the fact that hey dr evil was robbed from dana carvey and some of the stuff that came out after the cat in the hat that's when people started to be like maybe this guy isn't so nice and yeah. I don't know if anybody else has seen, but does anybody know that Mike Myers has a movie right now out on a TV show? No, you know why? Because nobody cares. But everyone knows about Hustle. They know about Adam Sandler's next thing because he's just somebody that his audience has always wanted to give them the benefit of the doubt. And I think if you are that person, no matter what you do, you can make another Haunted Mansion or whatever it is, Haunted uh, Murder Mystery movie. What was the name of that one? Murder <laughs> Mystery. Yeah, no. Okay. Murder mystery, literally the simplest and stupidest <laughs> title in the world. Put Jennifer Aniston or Drew Barrymore in it and he's there. And we didn't even talk about his incredible rom-com run too. Like I really, like I was going to do Fifty First Dates, but I had to do Waterboy. I, I, I thought about Fifty First Dates. I think it's really good. Yeah. Waterboy, I like too. Um, yeah. Because it's, it's kind of almost like, you know, like Rudy... <laughs> for Adam Sandler, like there, it's enjoyable because you know he's going to get on the team and you know he's going to get good, which is always fun. And you're going to see him ex exude his anger onto other people, which we already know is the persona of Adam Sandler. That's what he does. Mm -hmm. He's going to be like, what? Like mm -hmm. he's going to do all that. Yeah. And you want to see it. So it's just exciting. It's almost like watching when you see, you know, the shark and jaws. You're like, I can't wait till he starts sacking people. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. When he does it and stuff. I no. just want to say a couple of quotes I love from it so much was Henry Winkler is phenomenal yes. in that movie. 
Yes. And when he says, remember when he cuts, he flashes back to one time he was really upset and he's wearing heels and his, the phone is not plugged into the wall. Anyway, and then he's about, you, know, you just remembered at that moment. Yes. And it's so good. And he's like, yeah, that didn't work out very well for me. And then he's like <laughs> leaving the house and Kathy, Kathy Bates is so good in it too. And he's like, you know, mama won't let me play. And then he goes, when I was younger, I wanted nothing more than to get a Roy Orbison tattoo. And, yeah. and he, mama wouldn't let me. Let me tell you something. What mama doesn't know won't hurt her. Then pulls his pants down and has a Roy Orbison tattoo on his ass. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, when I was your age, my mother told me not to get a tattoo of Roy Orbison. But what mama don't know won't hurt her. And apparently that was Henry Winkler's real behind, too. Are you serious? Apparently, apparently that was really like, yeah, yeah. Apparently, like they did like the stencil for him. Also, too, not the only movie that he did with Winkler. I think Winkler came back for like two other films. I know at least Click. Winkler's in Click. Yeah. Yeah, and and Lawrence Gilliard Jr., who plays the kicker in in the Waterboy, which is another phenomenal role, and he's is sort of like the, the the best friend character to the Waterboy to Bobby Boucher. He he was quoted as saying that Henry Winkler was just everything on mm-hmm. that set and I've I came across the water boy at the exact perfect time for me to love it in my life because I was a freshman in college and it, it's still during that bonding session where you're just getting to know this new group of friends that you'll probably take with you for the rest of your life and we're all you know big sports fans football seasons in full swing so we all pile into don't try this at home kids my friend had a truck and so there's like eight of us in the flatbed going to the movie theater and we see water boy and we're just quoting it and laughing our asses off on the way home because I don't necessarily think it's a movie for everyone, but my God, did it. If you were a freshman dude in college, you loved seeing that movie. And it also sent the template for something that, that I think was maybe a little dangerous. And, and maybe maybe it, it was some of Adam Sandler's future misfires were the results of The Waterboy because he talked very different in The Waterboy. He was doing this ridiculous accent. And I think that because he got away with it so well in The Waterboy, it's like oh, I can I can do little Nikki and talk like that the whole time. I, I can do these these I, I can do Jack and Jill and just and play a character named Jill. Also, his comedy albums. People forget Adam Sandler had a huge run of comedy albums like that. He all did like Stan and Judy's Mark. kids. Um, they're all going to laugh at you. Yeah. Voices all the way through. You can't like and those were like mega, mega hits. So I really think he just wanted to keep pushing that forward, right? Sort of the, the same version of something. Like they're all like the yeah, same yeah. kind of world. And I think like, you know, Ellis, I think you make a good point where it's like once that happened, cause he was kind of playing a character. When you wa- look back at the performance, I still can't decide if I think it's a great performance or not. I don't, <laughs> don't know. It's so weird and sort of like committed. Well, it is committed, but it's also like, does this work? <laughs> it it doesn't need to though because this is the, it doesn't need to because again you look at so many of his films and it's like oh it's this it's like okay so Big Daddy this is Annie basically yeah. you know what I mean right. he just takes all of these other I would say simple premises from other movies and all he really does is dress them up with this Adam Sandler man child sort of like wandering through thing and what's so interesting is he's probably the last guy that's going to be able to do that because the next best clearest example of pulling the adam sandler stick for everything it's worth is pete davidson and i don't know if that guy is going to have the same level outside of you know banging a kardashian yeah he might be too famous uh (laughs) yeah exactly you know what i mean like it's like it's almost weird of anybody who would take that mantle of like this guy is gonna make a living out of being part of the joke as well as in on it he's the closest thing i think you got for a moment there we thought it was gonna be andy samberg i think for a moment there in time uh and and it just didn't really go in that direction for whatever reason but it's weird because there's two things i want to say i have to quote another one that I, i realize now i use in everyday life too like when he reads a note on the at the uh, over at the the water table or whatever, and it says "eat shit and kill yourself," <laughs> and he goes, "Not exactly what I call constructive criticism." <laughs> I always say that if someone's like jokingly being really mean to me, I'm like, no, "Not exactly what I call constructive criticism." <laughs> I really do like that one so much. Actually, mine that I do have because I am definitely this girl, not with like men in my life, but the other women in my life that fruits a bulk thing where she's just like, you want me to kill them? That is me. 
that is me. You cut off my girl in line at the bathroom or like said something shady out in public. Like I'm literally like Bruce Balk being like, you want me to kill them? Because I will. And actually, I think a mutual friend of ours, uh, Mark, has that same energy. That's hysterical. I, uh, <laughs> I I feel like we know a lot of people that that are in the water boy as far as the character types in our everyday <laughs> life. But you know, you, Jaglin, it's so funny you talk about your dad and his experience on all those Sandler film sets. It does seem like it's it's the most fun shoot you can have in Hollywood because even all these years later, when he wasn't controversially not nominated for for Uncut Gems, but Kathy Bates got a nomination, he congratulated her on Twitter as his mama Boucher from yeah, the Water Boy and. Yeah. So it was it was just like a nice kind of sweet moment there. And and now I, I want to go to the very next year chronologically is my movie that, that Jacqueline hinted at earlier. And that's Big Daddy, which is 39 percent on the tomato meter. And I feel like this movie, you can you can easily be a critic and poke holes in something like Billy Madison or even The Waterboy. I, I feel like Big Daddy Rotten Tomatoes got that so wrong on the tomato meter because I feel like that is a genuinely good comedy. I think it's a sweet movie. I think it's sentimental without being sappy. And there's a lot of Adam Sandler isms in it, but it also shows that that character in that film could have been Billy Madison. That could have been Happy Gilmore. Maybe Happy Gilmore burned out on tour. Maybe Billy Madison decided he didn't want to take over his dad's company and he wanted to move to the city. That could be that guy. And we're seeing the evolution and the maturation of Adam Sandler sort of realizing I can't quite keep doing the same exact thing. If my humor was sophomoric before, I at least need to now be an upperclassman in high school <laughs> as I progress in my career. And so this movie where he just literally finds a kid on his doorstep and he ends up having to raise him. It's a little three men and a baby for a new generation that I think sorely needed some life lessons in growing up. Me realizing this, this would be my sophomore year in college that I love Billy Madison, but you can't act like that doofus forever. But you can sort of try to base your 20s on a character like we see in Big Daddy. Yeah. No, hey, look. Yeah. The maturation is there. Called it. You just sold it to me. I don't, I'm not a fan of Big Daddy. Really? I wanted it to be funny. Ah. I wasn't ready yet for his, if Big Daddy was direct, I mean, that's probably one of his regular directors, like uh, Doug Dubin or, or uh, Doug. It, it, it Dennis Dubin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep, yeah definitely. It's always Stephen Brill. It's always like one of those those guys, right? I think if I knew, if that was like a P.T. Anderson at the time, I would have been like all in. I think I wasn't, I was the people who walked out of Punch Drunk Love, but it was three, I wasn't ready yet. Yeah. So I was like, you got funny. Me too. Well, you just yeah. sold it as in like, I, 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 you know, I know that movie pretty well. And I'm like, it is a really sweet movie. It's really, really sweet. And you're right. It was a nice move for him to, it was probably what helped him move into Punch Drunk Love like three years later. Like, it's like, it was going in that direction for him of like, oh, I could like capitalizing on what he's done before that persona. And the courtroom scene, Jack, when, when, when he, when we have this custody battle that we've been leading towards, it's the perfect combination of some real actual drama and emotion there. But there's also ridiculous comedy with Steve Buscemi, who's always great, whether he's putting on lipstick and Billy Madison, uh, whatever he's doing in an Adam Sandler movie. And here he plays this homeless guy who hangs outside of McDonald's, who they recruit to be one of the key witnesses in this trial for whether Sonny should be able to get custody. And the old guy is is there who's you know that just hangs out with him at the bar to watch the Jets game like it's so preposterous but it works yeah it definitely does work also um at that time I also like I have to thank this movie for so many things first of all it gave us the Sprouse twins which I was a Riverdale fan and just a fan of Dumois and celebrity gossip those two are like a lifeblood <laughs> <laughs> they just they always bring a little bit of the drama. So I like that a lot. I mean, honestly, though, too, just just the idea that Adam Sandler could have a movie like that. I was trying to look it up, but I believe at the time, Siskel and Ebert still reigned supreme as far as critical reception. And if I recall correctly, one of them liked Big Daddy. And I'm pretty sure it was Ebert, but like, don't quote me on that. But one of them hated it and one of them liked it. And I wish I could have figured it out. But there were people who I think got what Big Daddy was going through. The thing I think that sort of had its Achilles heel is so much of it was just like ridiculous stuff. Like the kid won't shower. <laughs> like it's just like, <laughs> it's like this man should not. And the plot hole, the setup of the plot is strange. 
like that guy drops that kid off the next day. Like no way that that guy all of a sudden decides to be this thing. And there's not any way that the teachers didn't report him 10 seconds after he came to school saying that he wanted to call himself Frankenstein. Like <laughs> like child protective services would have been notified And all way he quicker. eats is a plate of ketchup. That, that's, exactly. that's all he wants to eat. <laughs> like nobody is letting this child be alone with this man for so many more reasons than just how bad he is as a parent. Like let's just put that out there. But... I get it, man. I would not in any way say that it wasn't great. My favorite is like Leslie Mann, again, playing like the straight being like, quit being a jerk. Like just her hatred of Adam Sandler in that movie is like one of my favorite things. That opened my eyes to her. Yeah. Like, like it's going to get infected. That's why you don't scratch, dumbass. (laughs) I love it so much. Here's my question. With Big Daddy and Waterboy especially, how do you think they would uh, play today? Like if they came out today and Adam Sandler's in them, he can even if he's the same age, even if it was like, you know, 30s, late 30s, Adam Sandler or whatever. I still feel like Big Daddy works. I feel like Big Daddy works. Waterboy doesn't and Big Daddy does. Yeah, I think Waterboy doesn't because of like obvious reasons. But I think Big Daddy does with some careful adjustments. Like you just have to remove the thing that was never really talked about, which is this idea of like this is a grown ass man with a child he doesn't know. And you have to just set that up in a premise where there's a little bit more protection, like an aunt or an uncle. You just have to change the dynamic. It cannot just be some random child that was put on his doorstep. It needed a little massaging, let's be honest. Yeah, a little massaging. But other <laughs> but than that, yeah. John Stewart in there. Let's also keep John Stewart as yes. the actual dad who who kind of bookends the movie. And yeah, it, it really was a movie that I, I think a lot of guys who were in my position in life at the time who loved the, the the juvenile sense of humor of Adam Sandler films. But then that movie put us all in a position where what if some responsibility in our future, whether it's as as you know big as having a, a child or a pet or even just getting a girlfriend, which would have been news to me. It's like maybe this maybe we do have to show a more mature side of ourselves than just being stiffer from American Pie all the time, you know, and so I think it was a formative movie for me anyway. It's, it's funny you say that because as we go through these movies, because, you know, you sit down and sometimes think about certain people's work in, in chronological order. And like as movie people, like I do that all the time. Like, oh, yeah, then they did that movie. Then they did that movie. He kind of was like just prog- we were watching him progress as a human, <laughs> like through all these movies. If you really like look at it chronologically, almost completely from day one, from Airheads to, you know, to yeah. Hustle. Like it's been sort of a version of his life. In, in a strange way or, or the personas that he's played have we've watched them grow up and maybe like I'm just thinking about this now maybe that's why he's so important to us because we've watched him evolve before our very eyes airheads criminal criminally underrated too I cut it on tv a couple weeks ago and it still holds up for me another great Farley cameo 25 percent on the tomato meter. Maybe uh, a little more well-deserved where they take over a radio station so they can get their band played. But that's Brendan Fraser coming off of Encino Man. Yeah. Steve Buscemi's in. Like, there's some Steve Joe Buscemi Montana. has one of the yeah. greatest I'm doing the wrong thing at the wrong moments in that movie, which is at the end, uh, spoiler alert, they go to jail for their efforts, as they should. That's the other yeah. thing about that movie. Very fair. And he's playing in jail, and he's, like, doing the, like, and he's like making love to the guitar, but it's an all male prison. And everyone just looks at him like, you don't really know what you're doing right now, do you? And it's like one of the greatest moments ever of like, he's just like, I have committed to something that I did not realize. Like, like just, you don't know what you're saying when you're saying this, sir. And it was like, I just love that nonverbal thing. Cause it's literally like over the credits, best, one of the best jokes in the movie. Can I throw in an honorable mention? Is that okay? Yeah. Well, I'll just I'll, uh, really quickly. I love Myra's stories. I thought he should have been nominated for that yeah. as well as Love, as well as Uncut Gems. I, I, I absolutely. I thought he was. He broke my heart into a million pieces in that movie. And uh, I mean, there's so many other movies of his that I, I like. Like he, he's made so many. Most of the comedies I don't end up going for. But one of my honorable mentions, A Wedding Singer, is fun. Like, of course, I love John Lovitz in that and in that movie, and Steve Buscemi in that movie as well. But uh, that's my boy. <laughs> I oh, yeah. Really was that Sandberg, too, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's when it was like almost like a passing of the baton, but that didn't really ha- end up happening. The reason why I like it is because for a long time, I think, you know, Adam Sandler had very young kids. So he was doing kind of like, you know, Mr. Deeds goes to Washington or whatever. He was doing all these kind of like safe and sweet movies, Hotel Transit, whatever the hell all those movies were. And then all of a sudden he did an R-rated comedy again. That's my yeah. boy, I feel like, was his first R-rated comedy in a number of years at that point. 
and he is cursing up a storm. He is he is playing the Adam Sandler, the grown up Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore character. But we hadn't seen it in 15, 16 years or whatever. So I remember going to the theater. I was like, I think that looks really funny. I'm actually going to go see it in theaters. And I died. I thought it was hilarious. It was everything I wanted. And I actually thought it was going to be a big hit. And it wasn't really. I think it did okay in the end. But critics, it was it was brutalized. And I was like, I don't get it. Isn't this what we've all been waiting for? And I felt like it just kind of went under the rug. Yeah, I, I agree with that. If I can have an honorable mention, I just want to say Spanglish. This yep. is James yeah. L. Brooks. Which uh, is 54% va- on the tomato yeah. meter, which is very curious. I, I was shocked that movie wasn't fresh. I really love that movie. It's a very simple movie. It's very much within James L. Brooks. The guy that makes... Um, uh, as good as it gets, it's kind of hard for him to come back with something like Spanglish, which is still good, but in no way as satisfying a film. But man, I love that movie so, so, so much. I'll give a shout out to a, a fresh movie that is also uh, what what Mark had hinted at earlier is uh, The Wedding Singer, which is 69% fresh. And it's also because as somebody who watches Adam Sandler movies and can clearly tell he is a master appreciator like I am of Van Halen, that's got such a great Van Halen reference because the movie <laughs> takes place in 85 and his ex-girlfriend is wearing a Van Halen t-shirt and he's like, take it off before you jinx the band and they break up. It's a pretty, pretty good line. <laughs> oh, wow. Pretty that's good line. And I've used that myself. Sweetest yeah. moment of any because he, he when he's so sweet he breaks your heart right and yeah. the the song at the end come on I want to grow old with you is the yeah sweetest. I've listened to that song I sang that to an ex girlfriend yes, I, I learned how to play it on guitar and sang it to her when I was like nineteen or twenty years old and um, she was very impressed um, oh wow, look at you I, yeah. I I wish there was video of this somewhere we could <laughs> I it is it was throttlingly terrible. I think she just, you know, felt bad for me or whatever. She, it's weird she broke up with me about a week after that. <laughs> <laughs> she broke my guitar over her knee when she did it, which was really unnecessary. Shut that, up. That's rock and no, roll. she did not. That's rock and roll, baby. What do you expect? She did not do that. <laughs> she did, she did. I was going to say, she As did long not. as you didn't let her wear your Van Halen t-shirt, we're <laughs> all good. Uh, we could all talk about Adam Sandler movies all day as we've displayed here, but I, I do want to put some shine to uh, just the 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 filmmaker. Now, in addition to acting, that we have here as our special guest here, Mark O'Brien. Uh, you have a, a film that is really took me by surprise called The Righteous because I'll be honest, I didn't know what I was getting into with this, and what I got into was just a delightful horror trip. I'm a big horror movie fan, and The Righteous really, really grabbed me and did not let me go. Where does like when you're making a film like that, and you're also in the movie, by the way, what are some of the challenges that you faced making that that you hadn't previously encountered in your career? Well, I had to um, watch The Waterboy a lot. Um, (laughs) I like I I had to stay up late. That was a challenge. There's only so many hours in the day. Um, Honestly, the biggest challenge is is just putting it together. I I find that very I I don't understand that as well. And maybe it's because I'm. I'm more of like a creative. I don't know like the paperwork. So when you're just trying to convince people to let you do it, really, is the thing that I, I honestly, I hate. I despise. Mm. You're basically begging, and yeah. I don't have any problems with begging. I'm an actor, but it's I just don't like to do it. I, if I know I'm gonna get it, then it's fine. But you're always in a questioning thing. But when it comes to shooting, I actually find it pretty smooth because I knew my movie really well of what I wanted to do, for better or worse. That doesn't mean it's. Like when we finished, I was like, that's the movie I wanted to make. I don't know if it's good or not. That's objective to someone else. But I knew the story I wanted to tell. So when you're acting, it kind of just, it, it makes the process a bit more fluid and a bit more streamlined because I know what I want from that. And I'm an actor. That's what I do for a living. And I think some actors sometimes can be a little coy and be like, oh, I don't know if I can do it. I was like, well, I wrote it. I, I know I can do it. Like, just like, you know, someone goes in and plays guitar on a track. They know how to do that. That's what they do. So I was like, I felt comfortable with that because I wrote it. If I didn't write it, I don't know if I could ever direct something I didn't write, but especially acting as well, I would find that weird because it's not my voice. So the whole thing was my voice as one. So mm-hmm. that helped. Jacqueline, that's the best answer I've ever gotten asking a question like that. And I'll tell you why. <laughs> it's because that's that's what f- frightens me about any endeavor where I'd have to direct anything. It's not getting on set and telling people what to do and, and how to tell the story. It's the paperwork. It's the legal. <laughs> it's the red tape. That's the it, Once you get there, it's like, okay, now let's do our fun little barnyard production now that all of the, the lawyers are out of it. That's what that, that's honesty right there. No, it is honesty. It's actually the opposite of mine because the blank page is the most terrifying thing on the face of the earth, in my opinion. But 
I was I, I could I could deal with paperwork. I, I grew up in bureaucracy. Uh, Mark, I've talked to you about this film before, which I think is is so great. But I want to set it up for folks because this was a choice, not just in what you chose to do, but how you chose to do it from like the black and white setting. So just set up the story for us a little bit and and how you wanted to do it in the sense of like, I know you used friends and family members like you did this in like your little hometown. So, yeah, give us a quick log line of The Righteous and then why you brought it all the way back to I'm going to say the place where you're from badly. So you do it for me. But it's very small community. I know that you wouldn't expect it to be pronounced. It's not Newfoundland. (laughs) It's not Newfoundland. It's Newfoundland. Newfoundland. Whatever you think couldn't possibly be pronounced. (laughs) Yeah. Newfoundland. Um, There we go. I don't know what we were thinking when we named it. Like I was there in the room when that happened. Uh, (laughs) So it's it's really the logline is a a burdened ex-priest feels the wrath of a vengeful God after he's visited by a mysterious stranger. So really it's a lot of, I wanted to take the preconceived notion of like, you know, a stranger in the house kind of thing and then turn that and twist that and also twist genre a lot because that's why I love as a filmmaker. And, And Jack, we've talked about it before about like, you know, I love Michael Haneke and stuff, and, and I like people who, who you don't know what's coming next. And I loved Aronofsky's mother, for example. Like, I love that. Now, the foundations of where I was really inspired is more back to, like, Fritz Lang's early movies and... Um, oh, wow, yeah. Dreyer. Like, that's really where it came from. But I wanted to twist that in a way, and I grew up in Newfoundland, and I'm a proud Newfoundlander, and I go back when I can. But, you know, I live in L.A. It's across the continent. And, but I wanted to go back there for a number of reasons. I wanted to work with the people I know and love who I grew up with, because I think you get a better product when you're working with people you like and enjoy being around, even if they weren't talented and they are, but even if they weren't, it's still gonna be a better product than working with jerks who are talented. So I had the best of all worlds in that way. And I also felt like I'm so proud of where I'm from. And and I was so supported there. Like it's, you know, to come from Newfoundland and to be working in LA is not an easy thing to do. You need a lot of support and that the community there really supported me and, and supports everyone, and and I it meant the world to me. So I just wanted to not like go back and pay it back. This was a tiny movie with no budget, but I just wanted to be there, um, mm-hmm. and, and be a part of that community in making it. And then outside of that, aesthetically, like I, I, I the one problem I have with movies that are set in Newfoundland because there are some, like you know what I mean. There there's a couple dozen. It always has to make a point about being in Newfoundland. And, and I'm like, you don't need to, I'm not one of those people who it's like, the city is the setting. I actually like No Place, No Time, because when you say this is set in New York, 1988, you immediately have associations. I don't want associations. I want to create a world that is human and real, but we don't know where and when it is. So growing up in Newfoundland, I'd see these movies set in Newfoundland. They always had to have an accent. They're always fishing and stuff. And I was like, why can't I just use the way Newfoundland feels for me, which is cold and and it's and it's kind of like nature is, is very alive there in in a in a figurative sense. It, it has it like it's it's kind of like mysterious and 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 a, and a life of its own. And I was like, that works. The setting for this works for this film. So rather than just set a movie where I'm from, I was like, why don't I use the feeling of where I'm from? Hmm. And that meant a lot to me. So it, there were a million reasons why I wanted to go back and do it there. And we had the best time. We shot 15 days. That's all we had. We had 16, and we had to cut a day five days. Wow. In I had seven days of prep spread out over uh, four weeks. I, I was shooting Blue Bayou, and I went from New Orleans to St. John's for four days, went back to New Orleans for two weeks, then came back for three days, and then started shooting the fourth day. So we had no time and and no $650,000 Canadian, but we all were having a good time, and that's yeah. why it was good, it, Like I think. like That's why it was a good experience i should say i mean and it is look i want to give you give you your praise here it's uh, it's being released uh on arrow it's already 90 percent on the tomato meter well on your right way to certified fresh sir and we'll get that to you as soon as we can but you know i think what's really great about it is in addition to being this very atmospheric horror film that is so crazy you had this great cast yourself included but my favorite thing and i told you this in our last interview was the fact that For me, this actor, even though he's been in Mission Impossible and so many other things, the TV movie he did about being a creepy priest (laughs) is still to this day what I think of when I think of Henry. And you cast him not as a creepy priest, but a definitely conflicted priest. And I was just like, this is the most brilliant casting ever. (laughs) Well, there was kind of, there was a, like, you know, 25 years ago, he did a movie in Newfoundland where he played a creepy priest. And it's one of the best performances, I mean, I've ever seen. What's it called again? It's the The children. Yes, there you go. And he's absolutely mind-bogglingly good in it. And I just thought there was something kind of cool and meta about 25 years later, he's playing a priest who is harboring something he's done. That's not the same thing. 
But I just thought that was interesting. And also, like, I can't deny that there's major influences. I, I always tell people, they were like, oh, is this inspired by Bergman? I'm like, Bergman inspired the way I walk to the kitchen. I mean, I, I've watched so many of his movies. I don't have to think about Bergman while I'm making something. Same with Hitchcock. It's like it just becomes a part of the way you think. Like when we quote Billy Madison movies in the run of a day, you're not thinking about Adam Sandler. It's just it's just part of you. But there was one Bergman movie that I was like, oh, it, it, there are similarities, which is Winter Light. And there, even there's an actor, Gunnar Bjorkstrand, who was in a lot of Bergman movies who looks a lot like Henry. So even that, I was like, oh, there's oh some God. weird sort of wink there I kind of like in some weird screwed up way. And Henry's just such a wonderful guy and just such a great actor. I'm not always... I'm not the type, like I made one feature, but even in general, I'm not the type of it's like, you got to cast the actor who's right for the thing. I'm like, I want to cast the best actor that I know, who's just really a great actor. It's kind of like, uh, Mark, you're saying you're a, a sports fan. Jacqueline, I'm not sure if you are, but I'm a hockey fan. And I know that, you know, when they draft for need, they're like, yeah. never draft a position of need where you're like, oh, we need a quarterback. So we got to draft this guy. It's like draft the best player. Yeah. And to me, Henry, I was like, he's just a great actor and he'll he'll turn this role into what it's supposed to be. Yeah. And I'd rather that than try and find like, like Ilya Kazan used to meet with actors and be like, I see that they are this person. It's like, or he can just do play that character. Like, you know, <laughs> like, you know just I mean? draft the best player. I don't care if you're Portland and you already got Clyde Drexler. Michael Jordan's the best player in that draft. Go get Michael Jordan. Uh, ra- wrapping everything up here was sort of a fun fact that I learned really quick before we say goodbye. Uh, because we were talking about the artistic choice that you make when you're making a film like The Righteous. Did you know that one of the original concepts for Jacqueline's movie, The Water Boy, was to have it set in 1950s New England and make the movie in black and white? No. no. That was one of the original concepts for The Water Boy. And no. it's still, still make it a comedy, but still take it in a different direction where it's like sort of those Ivy League college football rivalries and... Uh, it would have been a different movie. That's when Michael Haneke was attached to director. <laughs> and uh, Mark O'Brien, you're always welcome at our Reindeer Games. It was such a pleasure having you. The, the movie is The Righteous, and it's available streaming everywhere as of June 10th. And I'm seeing the critic reviews on Rotten Tomatoes here. They're calling it one of the best horror movies of the year, and I would certainly co-sign that endorsement. So congratulations. As we say goodbye here, do you have any any movie or TV show in addition to obviously The Righteous and some of our favorite Adam Sandler movies that you want to highlight really quick? We usually get a streaming recommendation from our from our uh, uh, lovely well, catch-up crew members here. Or something in general. In general, or what that you've working on. Also, I want to make sure we shout out 61st Street, which you guys just did the finale last week, we right? The finale, yeah. Yeah, so, so if folks haven't caught that, they can definitely catch that out. But yeah, anything you're watching, anything you want to shout out, Oh God! Um, what? Oh, oh, you know what? I'm I'm really into the Columbia Noir uh, Blu-ray, that powerhouse indicator. Yeah. There's a great one that's totally under the radar that's with Edmund O'Brien that I'd never seen called Seven Eleven Ocean Drive. I'm obsessed with those old noir movies, and some of them are kind of like all the same. They're like you know just turning them out. That one is phenomenal. Yeah. Mark O'Brien, it was a pleasure having you. Please come back soon. Anytime you feel like chatting movies, we're always here for you. I would love it. Thanks so much, guys. This is so much fun. If you have any suggestions as far as movies that you want us to talk about, guests you'd like us to have, hit us up. Email us at rtiswrong at rottentomatoes.com. And sometimes we'll even read your emails on the air. If you're listening to us, make sure you subscribe, review, do all that good stuff. If you're watching us on a streaming program like Peacock, thank you for your support. And we will see you very, very soon in the next week because, Jacqueline, there is a franchise of films that's is it's a little debatable there's there's one goat and then it's everything else fighting for survival what are we talking about next week we're talking about a land before time in a way <laughs> a land that steven spielberg spent a lot of time with and carl mm-hmm. and colin trevo has spent even more maybe thankfully or regrettably that ah, jurassic world that's what we're talking about we're talking about jurassic world we're going to talk about jurassic world and the way jurassic that it relates park to and, all of yeah. those jurassic park movies there's a reason why i say jurassic park's the goat it's because it's the best of them and also because there's a goat that uh well it, I, let's just say it doesn't end well for the goat so if you're a goat doesn't end jurassic well for park, the goat doesn't end it. well for the goat i think the goats are going to get revenge and thor but that's a little preview <laughs> for later 
Thanks, you're kids. a goat or a lawyer, walk into Jurassic Park with caution. So for Jacqueline Coley, our special guest, Mark O'Brien, and his new film, The Righteous, producing Lucy, Brian Perez, Tim Ryan, our entire team here at RT is Wrong. I am merely Mark Ellis saying thanks for listening and watching, and we'll see you next time. A slippity doo. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.